This is Art Matters. I'm Farron Gibson. This podcast is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's public art collections. Explore art, stories, and past Art Matters episodes on artuk.org. You can find me on social media at Farron Gibson and follow Art UK on the handle artuk.org, spelling out the word dot. Art and the Olympics go together like peanut butter and jelly. Didn't you know? Art has been an important component of the modern Olympics since almost the very beginning. In fact, were it up to Pierre de Coubertin, art would have been part of the very first games in 1896. Pierre de Coubertin is generally acknowledged to be the, the architect of the modern Olympics. That's Margaret Timmers, formerly the senior curator of prints at the V&A Museum and author of the book A Century of Olympic Posters. He had a vision for the Games and that was to foster excellence through sport and also to help sport to create a national and international understanding. But he, he also believed in excellence in other fields as well, in aesthetic fields, in moral fields. So he was an educationalist. And he felt that sport was vital to the development of of young people. So he organised a congress in Paris in 1894. And it was then that it was decided that they would revive the Olympic Games of the ancient world and recreate them in a modern format. So because of these classical traditions, it was decided that Athens would be the first venue in 1896. The first modern games included many of the events we watch today, like gymnastics, fencing, and athletics. They also included the discus throw and the marathon specifically as a connection to the competitions of the ancient games. Pierre de Coubertin also wanted to hold art competitions, but this didn't happen until the 1912 Stockholm Olympics. Alongside the Olympic Games themselves, they were organised competitions. They varied from games to games. Some were for architectural designs. It was one actually for poetry, so it was the arts generally. So there were different categories which varied from Olympics to Olympics. But prizes were awarded almost in the same way that medals were awarded for the actual games themselves. For a time, there were competitions in sculpture, painting, music and more. The subjects of these works were typically related to sports, of course, and countries could take home medals. British artist Laura Knight won silver for her painting Boxers in 1928, and Alfred Thompson took home gold for Britain in 1948. He was the last person to win a gold medal for painting, as the events have not been held since. Although there were amazing art competitions, one of the biggest art connections to the Olympics for most people are the poster designs. The two Olympic Games after 1896 were held in Paris and St. Louis, and were done in connection with huge World's Fairs happening at the same time. We've done an episode on World's Fairs, by the way, if you're curious about that topic. But because these were part of a wider event, the promotion for these events was a little lost. The first Games to get their own official poster were the 1908 Summer Olympics in London. Those Games had actually been due to be held in Rome, but there was an eruption of Vesuvius and other problems which meant that the Italians had to withdraw and Britain's Olympic Committee stepped into the breach and the great stadium at Wembley was built. The poster was chosen only a month before the Games took place. The poster shows an athlete on a podium overlooking the great stadium. But the first poster that really made 
a major impact on the world was the one for Stockholm 1912. The Stockholm poster was designed by the illustrator Ali Hjertsberg. It shows a nude male figure in the foreground proudly carrying a Swedish flag. A strategically placed ribbon helps maintain the figure's modesty. A sea of flags from countries around the world wave in the background. In a way, his poster sort of set a trend. His composition showed a parade of idealized male athletes, nude, invoking the ancient Greek ideals of male physical beauty. It was printed in 16 languages and distributed worldwide. It was banned in one or two instances because it contravened a moral code, but actually it was extremely popular and additional copies were immediately required. Around this time, posters were designed by well-known artists who were selected through competitions organized by an Olympic committee. After the First and Second World Wars, the games became much more popular and the role of the posters became more important. Posters played a key role in publicity campaigns and became part of what we would now call visual identity programs. There have been, from the 1970s, whole sequences of posters to which artists and graphic designers and illustrators have been invited to contribute. But traditionally, one poster has been selected as the official Olympic poster. Just like the elaborate opening ceremonies that have become part of the excitement surrounding the competition, poster designs are an opportunity for the host country to tell the world about themselves. Designs can feature cultural elements from the host country and can celebrate some of their top artistic talent. Seoul, for example, Seoul 1988, they had a whole series of culture posters, which was to try to introduce Korean culture to the world with images of a festive fan dance and of a traditional Korean screen painting, for example. One of the most exciting years for art was the 1972 Olympics in Munich. The colors for the official posters were what you would expect from the 1970s, with bright oranges and greens. They have a photographic quality and show athletes in action. This is actually one of two strands of posters that were created that year. There was the graphic design program, and then there was another program called Edition Olympia. The graphic design program wanted to establish Munich 72 as the happy games. They wanted to throw off the sort of nationalistic images of 1936 and represent Germany in a new light to the world. The program was led by very distinguished designer Otto Eicher. He was known for corporate branding and logo designs. So he wanted to create this image of an open, bright, international series of events. And so he didn't use any red or black because of their association with the German flag. And the official palette for the games was white, light blue, green, orange and silver. Alongside these graphic posters, there was a special set of 35 posters created by some of the most exciting contemporary artists of the period. It includes works by Jacob Lawrence, Joseph Albers, David Hockney, and more. This special set was called the Edition Olympia 1972 series, and artists were free to create almost whatever they liked. David Hockney, for example, who was one of the chosen artists, he played on his favorite swimming pool theme. He created a wonderful image of a diver at the perfect point of entry into the water. And so the posters were very varied, but all in the Olympic Spirit Commission theme. And they produced three grades of poster, which range from signed numbered editions, which were aimed at wealthy collectors, to affordable commercial 
editions. And even now, those posters are some of the most collected today. Munich took an international approach, commissioning artists from all over the world. But it doesn't have to be done this way. Many hosts commission artists from their own country. In 2012, London did just that, producing a vibrant set of posters from some big-name artists, including Michael Craig Martin, Anthea Hamilton, Chris O'Feely, Rachel White-Reed, and others. Let the records show that Bob and Roberta Smith, who is the brilliant artist of the Art Matters painting you see for this podcast, designed one of the posters for the Paralympics that year. The London Organising Committee worked with Tate and the Plus Tate group to select 12 of the UK's leading artists to design a set of 12 posters to celebrate the Games. And there too, the images were issued both as affordable posters and as limited edition prints published by Counter Editions. And their primary objective was artistic excellence. They wanted to link the Games as de Coubertin had done in the beginning, with high aesthetic values. And so four of the artists commissioned had actually previously won the Turner Prize, and five had represented the UK at the Venice Biennale. So they wanted to encourage and celebrate the Games coming to London, and also to look at the values of the Olympic and the Paralympic Games. So there were six posters devoted to the Olympic Games, six to the Paralympic Games. These posters include some abstract interpretations of the Olympics and some ideas that are closer to what you might expect. Rachel Whiteread made a design that looked like cup rings in the Olympic colors of red, yellow, green, blue, and black. Apparently, the playful take on the Olympic rings nearly wasn't approved for brand reasons. Each artist has worked with their own unique style and it works well. This approach is something that has changed a lot since the early posters inspired by the classical world and more traditional symbols of national pride. Change came um, in Melbourne, 1956, because the poster was designed by the British designer Richard Beck, and it was a bold, abstract, modern design. It was an invitation card decorated with the Olympic rings and the coats of arms of Melbourne, but it floats towards the viewer, almost like a spacecraft. It's very bold and direct with clear, open typography, which reinforces the message of modernity. And I think that did mark a change in the way that now graphic designers sometimes, rather than artists, were being asked to create the imagery. And another new innovation was at Tokyo in 1964. For the first time, the four official posters used photography to suggest the real-life drama of an Olympic Games One of them, for example, is called The Start of the Sprinter's Dash, and it captured athletes powering away from their starting blocks. Photograph had been taken two years earlier and, of course, had to be staged. But when it was produced, it looked like, you know, a real human action games. My personal favorite Olympic poster of all time came after these changes for the 1968 Games in Mexico. It's a mostly black and white poster that is simple, but visually stunning. Mexico was the first Latin American company to host the Games, and the organizers wanted to get across the idea of modern Mexico, but also its historic roots. And the poster was created by a design team, and unusually, it was printed in a square format. It took the geometric Mexico 68 logo, which included the Olympic rings and the numbers 68. And they radiated the lettering out to the four borders of the poster in dazzling black and white parallel lines. And this was a deliberate reference to the 
pattern-making traditions of Mexico's pre-Hispanic cultures, pattern-making cultures. But it was also, of course, a brilliant piece of 1960s op art, and it was applied to signage, stadium walls, uniforms, stamps, everywhere. It established how Mexico City was perceived, and it also had um, an influence on, on the future, how it b- would be visualized by the rest of the world. The posters for Tokyo 2020 draw on an interesting mix of artists. British artist Chris Ophelia returned to do a design called The Games People Play that shows figures contorting themselves into impossible shapes in front of a pink-hued sun. There are also many Japanese artists represented, including manga artist Naoki Urasawa and the calligrapher Shoko Kanazawa. Urasawa's comic-like poster conveys the action and dynamism people love so much in manga and celebrates a brilliant Japanese art tradition. As the years have progressed, the art and design of the Olympics has become an important way of building excitement and anticipation for one of the world's biggest sports competitions. They herald the games. They shape our expectations of what's to come. And they're a fascinating historic record, of course. They're a visual document of sport and art and often woven into them politics and place and raise questions about commerce and culture. They sometimes reflect contemporary art movements and highly collectible works of art and design. They're often the images that remain in our mind's eye when we think back over past Olympics. Thank you to Margaret Timmers for talking us through a brief history of art at the Olympics. As you can imagine, we've only touched on a small piece of this topic, but you can check out Margaret's book, A Century of Olympic Posters, for more information. Before you go, if you have a moment, please leave a review for this series and let us know what you think. And as always, thank you for listening, and please join us again next time.